Well, welcome back to our sermon series called Unlikely Missionaries, as we're following a theme throughout the Bible that God doesn't always pick the people that you would expect to be his missionaries. God doesn't pick the person with the best resume to be his disciple. Instead, he uses unlikely people, sometimes people who are even unwilling uh, to be his disciples. So I read to you now from our sermon text, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. I'd like to start my message off by showing you this article that I read this last week. Your cell phone is ten times dirtier than a toilet seat. Fun, huh? Let me be the first to say, yuck, right? Uh, Your cell phone is ten times dirtier than a toilet seat. That means that everyone in this room has something that's ten times dirtier than a toilet seat, either in your pocket or in your purse. And then what do you do with it? You take it into your bed with you. uh, You hold it up to your ear. And then you come to church and you shake everyone's hands. Uh, so think about that as we walk out of church today, right? Uh, but what do we do with that type of information? What do we do with that type of thing? Um, because if you're like me, this isn't the first time that you heard that the world is germy and gross and disgusting all around you with millions of germs anywhere. Is this information actually going to change anything that you do? Is anyone here going to stop using a cell phone because it's disgusting? No. Is anyone here going to just, I'm just going to wash my hands 20 times more times a day now? Is anyone going to do that? Probably not. Uh, So what do we do with this information, knowing that uh, the world around us, your cell phone in particular, is so grimy and dirty and full of germs? Um, I'm not really sure. That leads me to bring up a point in the Bible. Because in the Bible, so often, uh, sin is described as a disease. Sin is a disease. That just like how there are millions of germs on your cell phone, there are millions of sins that you commit every single day. You are just covered in germy sins. And that leads you to do and say and think about terrible things. And that means the person next to you will do and say and think about terrible things. And all the people in your life are going to do and say and think terrible things because each one of us has millions of sins every single day. So what do we do with that information? You can't wash your hands and make the sin go away. You can't try and be a good person and make yourself perfect. Can you? So what do we do with that? What do we do knowing that in God's sight, we are dirty sinners covered with millions of sins? How do, how do we handle that? Well, today we're going to look at a story about how Jesus called somebody who was, by the world's perspective, one of the dirtiest people there were out there. And his name was Matthew. So we read again, the opening verse. Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Pretty straightforward, huh? You know, Matthew was a tax collector sitting at his tax collector booth. Jesus walked right up to him and said, follow me. And Matthew followed him. Pretty straightforward. But this is a very shocking story because Matthew the tax collector was a tax collector. And tax collectors had a reputation. They still kind of have a reputation today. I mean, how happy are you to get a letter from the IRS in the mail? Does that make anyone happy? Uh, probably not. You know, that's not, that's not fun to deal with them. Or uh, has anyone ever thrown a party and said, you know what I want to do? I want to have a great party, so I'm going to invite some of those wild and fun guys from the IRS over to my party. Uh, no, people don't think that way about the IRS and tax collectors today because they have a reputation. But back then in Jesus' day, it was even worse. See, back in Jesus' day, the Romans were in charge of the government. But instead of having Roman tax collectors, they would pick somebody from their own nationality to collect the taxes for that group of people. So for the group of Jews, Matthew was a Jew, um, he was the one in charge of collecting taxes for the Jews and then giving the taxes to the Roman government. So I try to think of a way of what that might kind of look like today. So imagine that uh, the United States got conquered by Russia. We'll just say Russia. And uh, the Russians came and they took over our tax agencies and used our IRS agents. And now the, the IRS agents that were normally working for the United States are now working for Russia and they're still collecting our money and giving it to the Russians. Wouldn't those guys kind of look like traitors? You know, they didn't stand up. They just, they just kept doing the job for the Russians and they're fine with that. That's kind of what was going on there. So uh, tax collectors, they were viewed as traitors, uh, betrayers. Um, but it got even worse. On top of that, the way how Matthew would make his money was if somebody had a bill, a tax collection of $100, Matthew would charge $150. And if the people didn't like that, then they'd call the Roman soldiers over and say, hey, beat this guy's kneecaps until he gives me my money. That's what tax collectors would do. They would cheat and steal and were corrupt and they had a reputation for being just some of the worst people at this time. And that's the person who Jesus called. He walked up to Matthew while he was sitting at his tax collector booth. And I just think that's amazing because he didn't say to Matthew, you know what, once you get your life together, then you can be my disciple. Once you start making some good, positive changes in your life, once you start doing things a little bit better, then you can be my disciple. No. Jesus walked right up to Matthew while he was still collecting taxes. He was probably cheating and stealing from people that very day. And that's when Jesus called him and said, follow me. And that changed Matthew's life. In Luke's account of the same story, um, it said, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Matthew gave up everything to follow Jesus. Matthew had a well-paying job, but not anymore. Matthew used to steal from people, but not anymore. Matthew used to cheat people, but not anymore. Because Matthew's life changed because he was called by Jesus. And that's what happens when we're called by Jesus, that our lives change. For Matthew, that meant giving up everything. And as we're called by Jesus to follow him, 
Uh, one aspect of your life that's going to change is the types of people who you hang out with. And that was certainly the case for Matthew. While Jesus was having dinner uh, at Matthew's house, many collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So while Jesus was uh, over at Matthew's house, he had dinner with Matthew and his tax collector friends. Because Matthew was a tax collector, so he had tax collector friends. And sinner friends. Isn't that interesting? There are tax collectors, kind of the worst people out there at the time, and then just uh, sinners, meaning anyone else who does bad stuff. They're all sitting and eating with Jesus. And as you can imagine, that was kind of a little controversial that Jesus was eating with those types of people. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you sense the sass in their voice? Look at that. Your teacher. Why does your teacher do that? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I know as a preacher, it's easy to rag on the Pharisees. You know, they're kind of the people in the Bible where you're just like, hey, look at these bad guys. They're doing bad stuff. But don't they kind of have a point? Don't they kind of have a point that you should kind of watch out who you hang out with? There's even a Bible passage that talks about that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. And if you're a parent that has a teenager, I feel like you want to grab them with a sharpie and write this passage on their forehead. Because you know it's true, right? You take a good kid, and they start hanging out with the rough crowd, and then a good kid starts doing bad stuff. Bad company corrupts good character. It's true. It's in the Bible, right? And it kind of reminds me of uh, the movie Rocky. Is that what you're thinking? The, the first Rocky movie, there's a moment where Rocky is walking with a teenage girl. and He's kind of like mentoring her. And he says, you hang out with nice people, you get nice friends. You understand? You hang out with smart people, you get smart friends. You hang out with yo-yos, you get yo-yo friends. You see? Simple mathematics. <laughs> and that's what the Pharisees were thinking. They're thinking, if you hang out with tax collectors, you get tax collector friends. You hang out with sinners, you get sinner friends. And imagine all the bad things that could happen. If you hang out with tax collectors and sinners, they'll get you to do sinful tax collecting things. So this is their math. You take one good person plus one bad person, and you get contamination. That's what the Pharisees were worried about. They were worried about contamination. You take somebody good, you mix them up with some bad people, and then you get contamination. And like I said, even in the Bible, it, it speaks this way. Um, if you think back to um, like the book of Leviticus, the, that book with all sorts of rules about the Bible, you, you get like all the rules for um, how you eat. You know, they talk about how the Jews they can't eat uh, pigs or bacon, and they can't uh, they have to wash their hands a certain way. You have all these rules about how you eat. And what God was really doing um, by making His people follow those rules was he was trying to avoid contamination. Because it was impossible for a Jewish person to prepare a kosher meal um, with a pagan unbeliever eating their food as well. You couldn't prepare a kosher meal in the same kitchen where you prepare a bacon cheeseburger. It, it wouldn't work that way. 
And what that meant was that you didn't have Jewish people interacting uh, with some of the pagan unbelievers sitting down, having meals together, and having those pagan unbeliever ideas um, contaminate the Jewish people. So God was concerned about that. But what, does, what do we make of Jesus then? What do we make of Jesus then sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners? Well, and we just read the story from Matthew chapter 9, but I want to tell you a story that shows up in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 8. And it's a story about how Jesus healed a man who had leprosy. And if you want to talk about uh, morally filthy people, uh, people who had leprosy were right on the top of the list back then. Because not only um, did they have a disease, but people looked at them as people who were just bad people. Because back then there was this belief that if you had bad things happening to you in your life, if you had a bad disease like leprosy, you must have done something bad to make God angry with you. So for people who had leprosy, they went to their own leper colony. They were outcasts. They were away from everybody else, from the rest of society, to avoid contamination. But that's when Jesus walks up to a man who has leprosy, and the man with leprosy says to Jesus, Jesus, are you willing to help me? And Jesus says, yes, I am willing. And then Jesus does something crazy. Because throughout Jesus' miracles, he can do miracles in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes Jesus speaks, and a miracle happens. Sometimes he just wills it, and something happens. But you know what Jesus does to the man with leprosy? He touched him. The man with leprosy, Jesus touched him and healed him. Do you know why Jesus did that? Because Jesus wasn't worried about contamination. Jesus wasn't worried about contamination. That was true with the man with leprosy, but that was also true with Matthew and his friends. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus is the great physician who came to heal the sick. Jesus wasn't worried about contamination. Jesus wasn't worried about their sins because Jesus came to heal the sick. Jesus came to heal sinners. And there's that quote that you see in the middle there. It says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Um, that's a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea. And in Hosea... It was a really dark time in Israel's history. They were doing terrible things, murder, stealing, all that kind of stuff. And what they would do with this is that they would go to the temple, they would go to church like normal, and they would make their sacrifices, sing their songs, and then they would think they were good. But then they'd go back to murdering, stealing, and all those terrible things. And that's when God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God wanted a change of heart. He didn't care about following the Sabbath rules at that time. He didn't care about following the Old Testament rules. He wanted a change of heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's telling the Pharisees, I know you know all these rules about contamination and how you're supposed to stay away from these people or not stay away from these people. But Jesus isn't worried about contamination. He wants a change of heart. 
He wants to be there for sinners, and he wants Christians to start to change their mindset to be there for uh, non-believers as well so that we can share our light with them. Because Jesus isn't worried about contamination, because Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the great physician. He's the one who came to heal the sick sinners. Uh, He's the one who took on our diseases. Jesus became contaminated. Jesus became the leper who was viewed as the outcast. Jesus was nailed to a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus became the outsider. Jesus became the pariah. Jesus became our sin. Jesus became morally bankrupt. Jesus became our punishment. Jesus died on the cross to remove our sin and guilt forever so that he can make you clean forever. When God looks at you, he doesn't hold up a microscope to you and see millions of sins. Instead, when God looks at you, he sees his son. He sees a pure and clean and holy saint when he looks at you, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Jesus is the great physician. He wasn't worried about you contaminating him, but he came to this world and he died for our sins. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for you and me to make us clean forever. And since we know that, since we know that wonderful message about what Jesus has done for us, we're going to want to share it with other people, right? That's what he calls us to do. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to be unlikely missionaries, that even though at times we feel dirty and guilty, he tells us that we have a God who sits and eats with sinners. We have a God who wants to be there right next to you, who wants to carry your burdens with you. We have a God who eats with sinners, and he takes our sins away. And since we know that, we want to tell others about Jesus as well. And throughout this series, I've been trying to give some practical tips, some practical advice about how we can share our faith better. Um, and this is what I came up with for this week. My encouragement for you is to throw a Matthew meal. So a Matthew meal was how you, he had, you notice how Matthew had tax collector friends and Jesus all sitting around the same table um, together. And that's what I would like you to try. You know, we, we talk a lot about inviting people to church, but how about um, there's a time and place also to invite people over to your house and to invest in them. So have some of your unbeliever friends and some of your Christian friends get together so the unbelievers can just see how Christians are, see how they're not so weird and may possibly ask about uh, your Savior. So maybe um, that involves having a barbecue and you invite uh, some of the softball parents, the, the team that you coach, and some of your church friends. Maybe that involves bringing your drinking buddies and your choir buddies together. Under one house, having one meal, watching the game together. Um, maybe do something with your work friends. Invite your work friends to a party and invite your pastor. I'm fun at parties. We'll just see what happens. We can talk. Um, what a great idea, right? You, you have Christians. You have unbelievers. Um, get them together and just see what happens. Because that's what happened in this story. You had somebody like Jesus, not afraid uh, to share a meal with somebody Um, And that meant so much. It changed Matthew's life. So throw a Matthew meal. Think of a way how to get your unbeliever friends and Christians together um, and have them interact with one another so that they can talk about Jesus. Because that's what happened to me a couple years ago. A couple years ago when I was a vicar, kind of like an intern pastor, I was invited over to a 25 anniversary party. 
there was a woman from our church and her husband, and they'd been married for 25 years, and they wanted to have their entire family come over to their house and me. So their entire family and me. And the reason why, <laughs> yeah, so I'm fun at parties. So, um, but the reason why later I found out is because um, this woman had a son named James who was in college, and he kind of fell away from the faith. He wasn't going to church, and he wasn't even sure if he believed anymore. And she kind of just thought, well, maybe I'll have uh, the vicar come over and just, just have him talk. And uh, James and I, we were pretty much the only people there that were in our 20s, so we kind of sat by each other, and we got to talking a lot. Um, talked about the Toronto Raptors. We talked about our mutual love for Kanye West. And then um, then he asked me what I did. He asked me what I did for a living. And I got to tell him I was a pastor, or studying to be a pastor. And I got to talk about what that meant and how I got to share Jesus with people. And it was supernatural. We were eating a meal together, talking about all sorts of other things, and then it just just came up. I didn't need to twist his arm. I didn't need to uh, wait for that perfect moment to get in there and talk about Jesus. It just kind of happened because we had one person invite some Christians and some unbelievers over to the house at one point. And how wonderful is that? Because we have a God who wants to sit down and eat with you. We have a God who wants to get to know you on a personal level. And since we know that wonderful message that we are no longer covered in millions of dirty sins because of what Jesus has done for us, each one of us is washed clean. Jesus washed Matthew clean. He washes us clean. And now he uses us to be his missionaries. So we do that all in Jesus' name. Amen.